0: Hey, Rage, what are we doing today? Why are you asking me? Scott's in charge of this month, remember? I know, but I haven't asked that question for a while. Eh, I guess that makes sense. Uh, Anyway, so Scott, what are we reviewing today? Well... Uh,
1: are we expecting someone? Either that's your wife... Oh, your dog learned to knock. Which one, Scott? Well, the, the dog has not learned how to knock yet.
2: It would make taking her out easier. Uh, let's see who it is.
0: Hey, guys. Ethan! Ethan! Where you been, man? We've been trying to get a hold of you since Godzilla.
3: That was like back in May, wasn't it? Guys, you would not believe the rest of the year that I have had.
2: Uh, What? What happened?
3: Well, shortly after we did that episode, some kind of ray, I don't know, a temporal wave thing came washing through my neighborhood. And of all places, I wound up in the 1930s. Uh, oh, yeah, it was really weird. Anyway, I was getting kind of nervous. So I went to find my own grandfather, you know, thinking I could, you know, shack up with him.
2: Uh, that sounds dangerous. Uh
3: you've I'm sorry distract you've seen back to the future, right? yeah, I know, I know, but yeah, you know, I was kind of desperate uh, not that it mattered because when I went to his house, he wasn't there, and somehow my family had never existed, but there I was uh that doesn't <laughs> seem physically possible, I know, right. Then another one of those waves comes washing through the neighborhood again, and I hear some guy screaming. It was loud. It echoed over the entire area. I'll bet it was heard all over the earth. That's uh, interesting. It gets worse. After that, I was stuck in the Middle Ages in Europe. They were trying to burn me at the stake as a witch. I'm just, just trying to tell them where I was from. They thought I was the devil. So... I've been hiding out in medieval Europe for the past few months until one morning I woke up in my bed and there was this text from Ragemaster about this week's episode. So here I am.
0: I'm not sure how any of that is possible.
3: Dude, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Okay, we believe you. Just have no idea why. Yeah, you got me there. Uh,
2: I, I think I know what caused this. Really? You do? It sounds sounds like it could be the result of uh, the malady ray.
1: Oh, that thing again? I thought we burned that thing. I knew it was going to be trouble.
2: Yeah, so, Ethan, I'm sorry, man. We, we were using this thing to pull people out of the time stream. Then we were using it to go back in time and then defeat these guys that sort of resembled Time Lords. I guess somewhere during all of this, Uh, We created a temporal quantum slipstream inversion factor and you got pulled in and pushed around the time stream and your family history got changed somehow, but not you. And that's got to be something with temporal wake. I don't know if in one of the times you were recording with this, you were just in close contact with the malady ray and it imprinted on your quantum signature.
0: But, um, man, I'm sorry. Man, Ethan, I am so sorry this happened to you. I mean using the malady ray was desperate we didn't know we had to use it we had no idea what was going on Scott was fixing it was blown up I'm just really sorry about all that
1: yeah we gotta stop playing god this is ruining it we've destroyed the timeline now it sounds bad
2: but we, we did I mean ultimately the malady ray accomplished everything and no harm was done but I mean it does sound bad
3: yeah guys no apologies necessary honestly i'm just glad it's over here i am it's almost like nothing happened at this point it's just when i look back on it my god that was like the worst year of my life i can't believe i survived
0: yeah it sounds like the year of hell
3: you could call it that
2: sci-fi melody symptom 226 year of hell dumbass Malady Ray 2.0, now with reset button, as seen on Star Trek.
0: I thought we just <laughs> every blew that Every up. week. I thought we just blew that up, so that's how that happened. Oh, uh, the Malady Ray? Yeah. Didn't we just blow that up? We, we, yeah. we did,
2: but
1: Unless I'm, I'm now another talking another
2: about one. the Malady Ray 2.0 that has a reset button to undo the blowing up of the Malady Ray. Yep, you made another one exactly god help us you've made another one no mad scientist stops when their first invention goes sideways (laughs) i
3: guess so 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 what you're saying is i've got another year of you know being in like ancient greece or something is that what i have to look forward to after this episode's done well me thomas you were only
1: so lucky
2: you would think so (laughs) ethan but um after this event the uh future time travel police will actually be paying attention and they will stop this from happening like they do all the other times that Voyager time travels. Just not this ah, time. Temporal or, investigations uh, yes. will. Uh, yeah, this triggers them to do that in the future. But they did it in the future and couldn't come back. And uh, I'm getting ahead to rips and picks.
0: Yeah. Uh, don't, know, don't
2: sick, welcome uh, in, don't. Sickies. This is week three of Trekking into the New Year, the best of Voyager. <laughs> We're joined by Ethan. Ethan, welcome back. Welcome
3: back. Thanks for having me, guys. I, I love being here.
0: Ethan, of course, Sickies, you know, is our fourth member who pops in and out whenever the malady ray doesn't get in the way. He's like the <laughs> mythical fifth beetle.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yoko?
0: Scott, uh, but Scott, before we get started, can I, can I jump in real oh, quick? Oh, I was
2: going to and- turn this over to you. Rage Master has grievances
0: and go. Well, before Uh, he has grievances, first, I want to talk about uh, Jodorowsky's Dune, which right now, Scott is like, what? (laughs) Yes, there is an update, kind of, sort of, in Jodorowsky's Dune. So those of you who don't know, go back uh, last December uh, 2020. Yeah, 2020, when we reviewed Jodorowsky's Dune, which is not a film. It was a documentary about a film he tried making that, was an absolute disaster dumpster fire. And out of a $9 million budget, he spent $2.5 million of it in pre-production. And by pre-production, I mean gathering the cast and workers and making a story Bible. That cost him $2.5 million. I wonder why he couldn't pitch it or sell it to a studio. Oh, he wanted to pay, what was it, the Emperor, a million dollars a day? $500,000 an hour. <laughs> so that's why the uh- Emperor who was Salvador Dali was going to get five minutes, but anyway, so there are a few copies of that story Bible, which by the way, makes the Bible look like a short read. All right. And, uh, so someone bought a digital version of it. All right. And how many terabytes did they use up? Uh, you know, I don't know considering, and and that's the, you know what the dumb part is? That book is, for the most part, available for free on Google.
2: I tried to download it on a new computer, and uh, it said insufficient memory. But I'm, <laughs> I'm serious.
0: You can go on Google Docs and check out most of it. So why you'd go ahead and buy, not only did they buy the book, but they bought it. No, they, bought, they bought a physical copy. Excuse me. They bought a physical copy for five times the value. So I think it was auctioning for like a thousand bucks and they spent like 500,000. In fact, you know, in fact, just for kicks, I'm going to look it up, but they way overspent for this movie, for this book. Um, And not only that, but then they kind of shook up the copyright world by saying, well, now we own a copy of this book. We can make a movie from it. And all derivative works. With copyright attorneys going, ah, you do not own the rights to Dune just because you bought this book. You still, if you want to make movies and derivative works from it, you still have to secure permission. Uh, I think
1: someone took a, decided to look at a lawyer's book for five seconds and say, I know the law, it sounds like.
0: Exactly. This is kind of like, again buying, um, I don't know, a copy of the Thrawn trilogy originally signed by Timothy Zahn and going, now I have the rights to make the movie. No, no, you don't. You, you have the copy of the book. I have another theory. Okay, go for it. This is an investment.
2: They now have the physical copy original, which cost them $500,000 to get. But what they will soon be auctioning off is the non-fungible token, of the original Bible for Joe Dawarski's Dune, which will go for 20, 30 million because it's a non fungible token and it can be the only copy of digitally of the original that exists uh, yes. in uh, the actually, metaverse.
0: Actually, I was way off. It sold for 2.7 million euro.
2: Which will still make a profit when they convert it to a non-fungible, non-NFT.
0: So $3 million. But yeah, well, you know, it was it was bought by a couple of Bitcoin guys, Bitcoin billionaires, who I think uh, maybe they're going to do NFTs with it. I don't know, but they think they're going to go make the movie now with every single copyright attorney saying, hey, good for you if you want to try. But just a quick note. It's not going to happen. Holy you, crap! How have I have not to thought secure, of this? You have to secure rights, sir. We need to take the sci-fi
2: malady and the Raven Lunatic Media logo and get a certified NFT of it and auction it off.
0: Yeah, and then uh, it's uh, an NFT. It'll come at a massive premium just because yeah, it's an NFT. Exactly. People
2: are buying them up like packs of baseball cards. You never know which one will be and valuable. Then we'll
0: punch every right clicker out there. Yeah,
2: we'll use it. We'll use it to uh to fund a... A, a not live action. We'll use it to fund an animated series version of Zodiac task force
0: and yeah, sell it to a, Netflix. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. It's the first so, step to behind the melody. Yep. So <laughs> uh, just a heads up on Joe Dune. Does this mean we're going to see the uh, version of it? I think they're going for an animated version of it. Are we going to hmm. see it? Uh, long, uh, really long shot on this one. And I hope to God, no, because if, Oh, you knew anything no. about Jodorowsky. No, 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 he was a great director. And if you knew anything about the story itself, it was so far off the beaten path that the only thing good out of it was HR Geiger got noticed. Legal disclaimer the Raving
2: Lunatic Media nor Sci-Fi Malady will speak with certainty to the alleged crimes of Mr. Joe Dawarski. All views expressed by the Rage Master are the opinions of only the Rage Master and not anyone else on this show, uh, including Thomas Powell, Ethan Maestri, or Scott Kennison, or Raving Lunatic Media, or anyone associated with it other than the
0: Rage Master. Send all of your complaints and lawsuits to the Rage Master. That's great, because Scott is the one who told us about this in the last episode. But, just Allegedly. Little- yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's there. Go listen to it. There's no alleged. But... Now that the Jodorowsky's Dune thing is gone, before we jump into the episode, I got beef with you, Paramount Plus. Oh boy! You know what crines Rage Master's (laughs) gears. So
2: (laughs) many things grind his
0: gears. Make an app that I can use to watch your shows. But I got two problems here. One, app don't work. I mean, it it, it, once I finally get the show to start, it hits commercial break and then it dies again. And then I come back commercial break die. Then I get to watch five minutes of the show die. Commercial break die. Paramount Plus, I got an ID for you die. And I don't mean physically. I mean, just get rid of your app. Just sell your stuff back to Netflix. That is a platform that works. Just stop. Just go away. In fact, Anybody not Netflix or Hulu, go away. Okay?
2: I don't know. I happen to like Discovery Plus. Trainwreck TV is really fun. Uh, good for you.
3: Amazon Prime works for me. Yeah. But I, I'm I've just had saying
0: no uh, Paramount, you guys suck. Get a better interface. Not only that, but maybe, and, and I know. I know, rich corporate guy, it's really hard to pay someone to do this. It's way easier to do bots so you could have another hot tub. But, Star Trek Voyager was designed with commercial breaks. Use those as your commercial breaks. Don't just drop it in the middle of Janeway talking. What we need to do is... At Subway, we got a new thing. Dude, is it really that hard? Is it really hard to take your intern and tell them, Hey, sit down. Here's your $7 an hour we're giving you. And sync up the commercials to the original commercial breaks on all these older shows we have. Or better yet, if you're making a show for your streaming service, like Halo... Design it with commercial breaks like they used to. They were able to do it back then with the primitive technology of the time. Why can't you do it? I know, because that would require paying the intern $7 to do that instead of having a bot do it for free. You know what? You know what the real answer is? What? Dumb, I'm sure. No.
2: Uh, it's $3.99 a month for no commercials and $7.99 a month without commercials, and they would much rather have you pay them the $7.99 a month than not have commercials, so Still they're going dumb. to make them as annoying and
0: slightly off-putting as they can to try to nudge you into paying leave, more. Leave it to Scott to justify the most vapid, horrible uh, business practices in the world for another buck. Oh, I'm not
2: justifying it. I'm just
0: telling you why they're doing it. There's oh, a yeah. big difference. It's, it's horrible capitalism gone wrong
2: and i'm a capitalist but there's capitalism gone wrong and this is it yeah why did i just sound so, like casey Kasem?
0: uh <laughs> don't start swearing about a dog or a, a dog then we'll <laughs> every run. time i come out of these upbeat tempo records i gotta do something about a dog death dedication <laughs> so yeah paramount got beef with you anyway now that that's done i'm gonna hand this back over to scott as we talk about a year in hell or year of hell. Which one was I keep screwing year up? Year of hell. Year of hell.
2: Well, to continue one of the new themes in the uh, in the sci-fi melody superfecta, I'm going to disagree with Rage Master over something trivial. The Paramount app works perfectly fine for me. That I was- do agree with him that the commercials do not work. But the app, I don't have this five minutes die, five minutes die, five minutes die. The app works wonderful for me. Well, uh, wait a minute. Week three. <laughs> Third third episode, my, my second best episode of Voyager all time, Year of Hell. Let's start off with why did I choose it? Um, there's a theme I running this month. This. There's a theme running this month. Voyager is best when the show is about what the premise was. And for once, we get the actual premise of the show. One ship lost in the Delta Quadrant on its own with no access to repairs, star bases, or resupplies. And the ship looks like it. The ship is destroyed. It's falling apart. Everyone except Seven of Nine looks like they've just rolled out of bed and haven't showered in months, except Seven of Nine looks like she's got a whole
0: um, (laughs) style of beauticians to make her look perfect. Which is why everyone else looks like
3: garbage. Yes, somehow... That's the benefit of the nanobots.
2: Yeah. Oh, oh, I forgot about that. The nanobots apply her makeup. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) but the ship is things aren't functioning um the b- the battle damage isn't replaced the next week. People who die aren't replaced by new recruits that somehow appeared out of nowhere that just weren't on camera before. this ship of 93 people feels like a ship of 93 people. there are you don't have the ability to stick to Starfleet principles. you have the crew at each other's throats and you know it's it's wonderful that the episode kicks off with the doctor tongue-in cheek saying, Remember when I was activated and you guys were at each other's throat? Starfleet versus McKee. Uh, uh, resource shortages. And didn't know if this crew could become a family. Until episode three, when they did become a family, after B'Elanna Torres was made chief engineer and it solved everything. Um, the, the, They actually go out and say, did you want to see the show that you thought you were getting? Well, here it is for two episodes. Not a full season like Brandon Braga wanted to do, but... We'll give you two episodes of what the show was supposed to be, and
0: it's great. it really is
2: excellent and it also it also continues my theme, lightweight of Jane way as an authoritarian psychopath
0: yeah, but is she is she as bad in this one in your mind
2: she's not as bad as this one, but when the doctor gives her medical
0: orders, she does threaten to delete
2: his program oh, when the true. week before. Well, the season later, she's going to lobotomize him so that so that she can have a doctor around, forgetting she has a backup doctor this week. She's just going to delete his program. So when it's just him going crazy and needing to treat the crew, lobotomize him. So he's still here when he's
0: going to make her follow the rules. Delete. (laughs) You know, I was wondering about that. And I'm not trying to dive into rips and picks anytime soon. But the whole time I kept thinking, Doc, stick her with a chemical. Just walk up behind her and then say, all right, I enforced it. You don't have to sit there feebly going, well, she just. It literally was like that scene in The Simpsons where Homer was like telling Mr. Burns, what are you going to do to me? What are you going to do? He locked the door. (laughs) And that's What are you going to do, Janeway? She walked away. (laughs)
3: I, I want to inject something else because it seems like a good time to bring it up as well. Also, she gets onto Chakotay for giving her a watch, right? Mm-hmm. Tells him to put it put it back in the, the the replicator, and he doesn't obviously. And she finds it later. It's a touching scene in that moment when she realizes, oh, he didn't he didn't follow my order, but. <laughs> you guys have talked about it over the last couple of episodes. Did it not seem like that also would have been a situation? Had she Shik- been there? She would have thrown him in the brig. She could have reacted that or way she would as have well. Ripped him a new one. <laughs> yeah. 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 She would have dressed him down. Like he'd never been, you know, talked to like that before. Uh, so yeah, it, it is Janeway does come across, especially the last couple of times I've watched it is yeah. A little bit more. Uh, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, her, her polarity. Uh, Yeah, very, very authoritative. Yes. But, you know, the polarity, how she reacts is it can be one way or it could be the other. And you just don't know which Janeway you're going to get. Oh, that's what we had last week where she went from
1: lobotomizing the doctor to being the mother of the doctor in one episode. Well, more like in one commercial break. Yeah. Uh,
2: At least in this episode, Janeway's insanity makes sense. There's a reason for it that here. The ship is falling apart. Is desperate. Right. Um, it, it, and that's why, in the end, over uh, the alternate episode for this, and Ethan, maybe maybe sometime this week we'll do a supplemental if you've got time where I do the, the also-rands of Voyager. The Thaw was the alternate for this spot. I really like the Thaw. And part of that is Janeway meets the uh, personification of fear itself, and it's fear that is afraid. but um the thaw is a really excellent episode too but um uh ultimately this is the show that we should have got the only other time we get close to seeing the show that we should have got was in um the void where they're stuck inside uh where they're stuck inside that void of space and they've got to try to survive and then oh uh, yeah equinox yeah. You kind of get it in Equinox where you see what Captain Ransom did, but then it's even wrong because Janeway's still pontificating about sticking to her principles. Um, and that it's never easy. But you know, um ultimately I went with this one because this is the glimpse of what Voyager could have been in my mind. Um and
3: and how great you you alluded to it, how great would it have been if they had been brave enough to do this entire season with this storyline and sprinkle in other things along the way. I just, cause that would have been, in my opinion, that would have, it would have laid down a template for future star Trek episodes, you know, cause cause star Trek now is very serialized. And if they had been able to do this season of the year of hell and make the ha- actual whole season, this storyline, I think it would have, um, it probably would not have allowed Star Trek to go through the laps that it did after Voyager and after Enterprise ended. I think it would have been so much more powerful.
2: And it's 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 absurd because you know what's going on at this time? The beginning of the Dominion War arc and the serialization of DS9. Yeah. DS9, this is fourth season Voyager, so it's fifth season DS9 if I'm
3: correct. Sixth. Okay. Yeah, you're in the middle of the war, yeah.
2: You're in they they know what to do here. And they know how to do this. And then they're going to figure it out later if they save Enterprise or almost save Enterprise with season three with the Expanse, which is where the best episodes of the show are hidden in Enterprise. Um, mm-hmm. It's not like this idea hadn't occurred to them yet, but they went to Brandon Brogger and said, nope, you're going to have two episodes because you know what we got to do? We've got to mm-hmm. um, completely murder the idea of the Borg as a single united consciousness and give them one leader. And we have to turn the Q from gods into just super advanced beings with technology. And if we get hold of one of their civil war muskets, we can kill him too. Forget the fact that the Q have the power to just snap their finger and take that musket out of existence. Nope. You've got the musket, Tom Paris. You can kill a Q. Anyway, I digress. It's too easy for me to digress into my love-hate relationship of Voyager. So let's stick to good Voyager. But before I go there, Ethan, you're joining us for the first time this month. I've probably seen some raised eyebrows about my selections. Did these selections, um, did they raise any eyebrows for you? And if you've got alternates that you would have put in for your top four, what would you have thrown there?
3: Well, I'm coming to this discussion, um... very, very open. Uh, I had not, it, when you were guys were talking about uh, in listening to the show coming up on Trekking in the new year, I knew you were going with Voyager. I don't really have a whole lot of favorite episodes of Voyager. The ones that I do have are early on in the season. Uh, like I forget the name of it, but it's the, the season end and beginning of uh season one into season two. I think it is where they're stranded on the planet and the uh kazon worst take over the scenario? ship yeah yeah i
2: think so they're they're
3: no they're worst case on the scenario
2: plane. is chakotay's muti- mutiny but i know what
3: you're talking about yeah okay yeah so that's a two-parter and i always loved the character uh the murderer <laughs> that was on board right that was part of the maquis i forget his name now oh yeah um but when he lays down his life in that episode for the benefit of the ship and the crew uh, I think that was probably one of the more powerful moments in Suter. Voyager overall. Souter, yeah, exactly. Um, so I would, like I said, I forget the name of the of those episodes. I'm not as up to speed on Voyager as I am on the other previous series, um, but those would be in there. Um, you know, I've got some sentimental favorites. But honestly, the ones that you've picked so far, I would not have put them highly on my list, but having heard you guys talk about them, <laughs> I definitely see the value of them and the fact that it gets to the point and to the heart of Star Trek's message and what humanity is and what it means to be human and making moral decisions as a human. Uh, so, they're, yeah, you know, it's I've come around to those these ones that you've picked. And, you know, Year of Hell wouldn't have been on my list. But having sat down and watched it, this is a lot better than I remember it being.
2: So let's go into... Year of hell. Ragemaster, do you want to try a plot summary for this? sure,
0: sure. That it's really not that complicated at, at its face. <laughs> uh, I won't go into the details because just to make it easy and so we'll have our um our discussion points here. But essentially what happens is uh Voyager finds a route to get back to the Alpha Quadrant, and it's gonna be passing through a sector of space that has two alien races that are battling it out. Um it's a disputed zone. And it turns out that one of the alien races and Scott will know the names better than I will. Uh, one of the alien races will, uh, has a chrono laser. That's the Krenum, the crenum. the crenum is eradicating whole species because the captain of this ship is trying to, he, his, right, The Krenum were in war with another alien race And in an effort to defeat that race, they came up with their chrono laser that would wipe them out from existence. But the problem is messing with time. You pull one thread, you mess something else up. It's the old butterfly effect, you know, or the greatest way to think about it is if you go back to the Simpsons Treehouse of Terror with the time traveling toaster, you go back and squish a bug and all of a sudden it's raining donuts and you own a luxury sedan. Uh, but that's what was happening and he found out that the colony his wife lived on was gone and so he spent the rest of his 100 years apparently the Krennum very long lived 200
1: and they're outside of timeline
0: yeah yeah that's years. why they're yeah he can't age outside of space so <laughs> they are essentially flying around space eradicating civilizations so he could bring back his wife and voyager in the process gets really messed up and they develop temporal shields, which protect them from the blast, the the uh, time waves that are altering history. But that means that Voyager is also by itself and winds up getting really wrecked by this, uh, the Crenum. And in due time, they, Chakotay and Paris are beamed aboard uh, Red Foreman's ship. And they have to work with him. And in time, Janeway, with a crew of like 10, has to form an alliance with other alien races to take out this guy. And she does. She destroys him. And when she destroys him, everything he had done for some reason just gets set back to normal. And she's back at the beginning where she entered space. She runs into the Krenum. And the Krenum just say, you should avoid this area. It's in dispute. And she just decides to fly around it. The end. Which i would like to
1: ask a very interesting question of Major scott uh, everyone oh okay if you quote unquote have chronotonic weaponry wouldn't you kind of understand uh, quite a bit about time and maybe that i don't know using time weapons like wiping out a species might have side effects uh well no the guy admits that he
0: knows it he's trying to he doesn't care about anything well, else except time. getting his wife back
1: yeah the first time they used it not 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 his million times oh, after and well, the it, genocide of billions right. later I don't, I don't think I'm talking just the first well, time don't the, think the first three. time
0: I think the first time he would all right Scott don't edit this out just roll with it like Hitler. He was going along with that. That's probably where his heart was at the time. If I could eradicate this race of people, I will. And only after he did it and realized his wife was gone that he decided, oh, shoot, that's not what I wanted. And then he learned the hard way. It was probably one of those sciences, a lot like a lot like when the atomic bomb dropped. We didn't know the full breadth of everything that was going to happen until we didn't know there would be black rain and. The long-term radiation. We didn't know the full breadth of it. It was just we need to end this war now, and this is going to do it. And I think that's where his heart probably was.
1: I Did see. Humanize Hitler?
0: Uh, no, but, no, I didn't humanize. It. Okay, well, hu- Hitler was <laughs> human at the end of the day. If you want to go into that, during the Nuremberg trials, one of the horrible things that the psychologists <laughs> found out was that in talking with a lot of Nazis, they found out, you know. If you can separate them from the horrible person that they are, they're an ordinary person. They like fishing. They like hunting. They like doing. And that was the thing the psychologists were most shocked about is because they were expecting to hear from demons that everything, their froth at the mouth and everything they say is blood, blood, blood. And they find out, no, it's it's kind of the serial killer, you know? And uh,
2: yes, yes, Dahmer was a very human person. He liked to go fishing
0: before he ate the cadavers in his refrigerator. Well, Scott, <laughs> since you interrupted. Uh, no, what I mean is these are people that. If and I'm not suggesting you do, but if you were to divorce them from this aspect, they would look in any other way human and you could see parts of yourself in them. And at the end of the day, they're not you. All right. I'm not suggesting that Red Foreman in this episode is a sympathetic character. He's not. But there are aspects in so much as that. um, You know what? No, I can't. I can't relate to him, actually. You're not not supposed to see him. But look, Anorax is a villain. But you're supposed to see
2: Anorax as a villain with pure motives. Um, His original goal was to win the war that had been lost for his people. Right once he didn't care and and look if you're a warrior fighting a war if it's all of us or all of you that's a choice that a warrior makes pretty binary and is going to make the same way a lot of times and so anorax was willing to do what needed to be done to win the war for his people until it cost him the only thing that mattered to him more than his people his wife his children his grandchildren and at that
1: point he wasn't willing to do anything
2: Like Meatloaf. He would do anything to win the war, but he won't do that. he won't do that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: everybody has a limit of something.
2: you know, Anorax's poor crew, uh, I I liken them to just being a bunch of uh, Sisyphus. They've got to roll this uh, boulder up a hill knowing that it can never be done.
0: Well, and you really feel bad for the crew when at the beginning they uh, they run into him and say, 98% restored. Our empire is better than ever. People are happy. Everything's fantastic. OK, but is the colony back? Well, no, then it's not perfect. So it's why, it's
1: almost why like didn't they could then they could have just cooed then and just taken it.
0: it. Well, and, you know, there is a concept of we're following orders blindly. And uh, I guess that's where they were at. And you have to believe that everyone else will follow you. Yeah, if no one else follows you. <laughs> yeah. And there, it's not like there was this grand mutiny being discussed at that moment.
3: I think that would have been a good point for someone to step up and say, you know, it's close enough for government work. So, <laughs> I mean, you're not going to yeah, get much better than this, sir. Yeah, I'm with Thomas, though. If I'm on that crew and we're, we've are we got 98 <laughs> percent, I think that's the point where you say it's good enough. Yeah. Let's let's More shut it down. But, you know but he I was not like I would have done. You know what
2: I feel like I would have done? I would have tried to hack the computer system to make him believe that the colony at Keona Prime was restored.
3: <laughs> and then let it yeah. go there? Yeah, well, I mean... So, sorry, knowledge. before we leave, can we hit the self-destruct button on this and then we'll all go <laughs> home, right? Yeah. yeah.
2: Why yeah. don't you take... I mean, we got the next shuttle out, fast-tracking years. you to Keona Prime to go see your wife in, again. Yeah.
0: We'll
1: just, take care of the rest of this, buddy. Just land the ship, <laughs> yeah. kick him out, and go, and stay out! <laughs> I mean, again, 200 years. After 200 years, you think you'd just at some point go... We're done. We've well, been messing with time for so long that we've forgotten who we are. We are at 98% quit.
0: Well, and you would think that because they do reach that point. But as as you pointed out, but they reach it on if they don't reach it until Paris gets on the boat and starts questioning them. I like, think
2: they were there at the 98% and when they tried the next thing and they lost it all again. Well, I mean, I think they were like, okay, okay, we can't mutiny now. But when he gets this thing
0: back to close enough, that's it. I got I got this. You know what? This reminds me of a gambler, a gambler who's at the top, who has enough to like old Gil from the Simpsons, who's got more stacks of chips than the casino. And he rolls the dice and loses everything.
2: Okay, oh, Gil lost it all. Let me make let me make a realistic here. This has happened to me. I can't tell you how many times I've logged in or not logged in. Sat down at the table to play blackjack. $500 buy-in. And uh I immediately drop and I got $200 in front of me and I'm like, "Man, if I can just get back to 500, I'm walking away." 400, 475. 450, 425, 450, 525. All right, I'm on a roll now. I can win. 175. All right, if I can get back this time, even anything, appro- I'm walking away this time. 450, 475, 475, 450, 425, 4- and I walk away at 225. And I'm like, man, I was there twice. Man, 475 looks really good right now. And you keep chasing it. And sometimes, don't even walk away at 225. It's 475, 450, 425, 400, double down, split, double down, 200, 200, all in, 16 hit, bust. Okay, I'm going home with nothing. Well, And it, five minutes ago, I almost had it all back after six hours of grinding it back.
0: And this is not an, even an exactly <laughs> fair comparison because he is so singularly focused that if he only succeeded, I believe that if he only succeeded at bringing back 10% of the Empire, but that colony was there, he'd be fine. He's done. He's I got my colony. I got game. my wife back. I'm done. Blow the ship up. I don't care if the Empire stays at 10%.
2: Okay, so let me hit you with the first of the questions that I've been doing this month. You are anarax. You have a 98% restoration of the continuum, but you are anarax. Well, I'm- can you give the order to say enough is enough or will you follow his logic? I have eternity. I am outside of space-time. And I'm going to go further with this. From Anorax's position, he is outside of space-time. He has a million years to keep trying to bring back, as he said, every single blade of grass. He can, if he wants to, as he said, I've destroyed species and brought them back. He has a million years to, if he wants to, reset everything to the very day that he did his first incursion and undo all the damage he ever did if it takes him a million years? Should Could he, he stop that? at 98%? Would you live with yourself at saying, I brought back 98%? Could you live with yourself with saying, my wife and kids aren't back? They never existed even because of what I did. But I'm going to take the the good of the many and the 98% over them. Is it is it even the right thing to do from his perspective?
1: Question. Uh, answer this. Could he bring them back? Because I, he only seemed to destroy, <clears throat> and wipe species out.
0: I think at certain points he has said he can bring them back again. He just didn't know how. He kept calculating and calculating, but he was sure he
1: could. Or do Or at times he has.
0: At
2: times there's species that have existed, not existed, and then he did something
0: earlier in time that got rid of his later thing in time that brought them back again yeah but he never said he got his wife back because no. clearly he never he would have stopped at that point well he's gone psychotic and he thinks time has moods and is, is just
2: screwing yeah, with him his,
3: all right. or or would he you know we haven't seen we never heard anything about over the last 200 years maybe at some point he did get that colony with his wife and his children and his grandchildren back but It left the Empire in such a poor state that he had to make the decision. Yep. It's not good enough.
0: But do you guys keep going if you're him? Or he brought her back, but she was married to someone else. Ooh, yeah, that's a possibility. So that's like, oh, she's back, but she's not mine. So not good enough. It You know what it kind of reminds me of? It kind of reminds me of the Nexus from Generations. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Where yeah. I'm, I don't care if I have to destroy entire star systems. I want to get back into that place of absolute eternal bliss. Yep, and yeah. that's the way he's. I don't care if I have to eradicate whole civilizations. I need to get back exactly to that moment in time. And you could argue that, boy, I'm I'm turning into Scott here. Is this the situation with people that are who are unable to adapt? who are so dedicated to recreating what they think was the best moment of their life, that they don't care the damage they do in the meantime. They, um, if I have to start a tire fire and let the whole neighborhood burn, I want that tree with the tire swing back in my front yard. Like I had as a kid, because I think if I have that, I will find fulfillment like I did at that moment.
3: Well, this Um, is, this is exactly what happens when someone gets tunnel vision. I mean, yeah. this is, this is the, the example that we could look to in this episode. He has tunnel vision. It doesn't matter that there's a 98%. It doesn't matter what is there and what isn't there. He's so singularly focused on that one thing that he's willing to dismiss the suffering that he's causing he's, of even the people that are inside of uh, the time bubble with him. And so he's just focused on that. And so that's why that makes him a villain because he's completely ambivalent to the suffering around him and outside of their bubble.
0: I'm going to give unsympathetic the unsympathetic villain, go, I
2: might add. I'm going to give the contrarian opinion here. Of course you are. And I'm going to admit that this is the contrarian <laughs> opinion. And I'm only doing it to give the contrarian opinion. Mm. Anorax, by continuing on and not accepting a 98% restoration, is doing the only moral thing that he can do. If at any point he accepts anything less than 100% restoration and undoing all of the damage that he has done, then he is a murderer, he is a killer, and he is a destroyer of, of cultures and worlds and civilizations. He is playing God. The only moral action is to undo all of the harm that you have done, um, which is gets to trigger my deep meaning. But the only moral action Anoraks can do is to undo all of the harm that he has done, And in this specific and unique situation, he has eternity to do it. Now, in most of our lives, and here, Mark, deep meaning music.
0: This is Scott's deep meaning.
2: One of the things that we all have to struggle with as human beings is that we will commit bad actions, immoral actions, actions that will hurt people, actions that we wish we could have back. And we want to try to make everything right. Even apologizing sometimes can't be enough because we know we haven't undone the damage that we did. We know that we we can't take that action back. There's things that we can never undo. Because we can't, we learn to live with them. In our lives, we have the choice of constantly living in the past and reliving the past over and over and over again to try to purge ourselves of our guilt, our remorse, our regrets, Or we have the choice of learning to let that be because it doesn't, it doesn't exist anymore and live in the only moment we can, which is the present and make the best life we can going forward. So we learn from those mistakes and we move forward with our life in that point. Anorax, however, has eternity to do it. And what makes the point even more about the human condition is that even if you had eternity to undo all of your mistakes, you never could. It is a futile and fruitless endeavor to try to set right everything that you once set wrong and regain every inch of what you've lost in your life. Even if you had eternity and time was not a factor and you could reset yourself into any moment you wanted to in your life, you could never undo all the harm that you have done. And that is what this episode is trying to tell you. Whatever mistakes you've made, whatever you've done, whatever has gone wrong, stop trying to go back in the past and figure out how to do it differently or undo it or fix it or restore it and start figuring out how to make the best life you can today. And that's what his wife is telling him at the end. There's always one more calculation, but it's a beautiful morning. Enjoy it with me because you can sit here lost in the past, not living your life, not not enjoying life to the fullest because you're trying to undo the past, and set right the past, or you can simply live the best life you can today. That's
0: the deep meaning to me of this episode. That was Scott's deep meaning.
2: Now, I have a feeling the other three of you are going to tell me why Anorax is immoral and the villain and not sympathetic, and what I said about the only moral action he can take is to fight for 100% restoration and tell me why I'm wrong with
0: that. I I would say he's unsympathetic because he was willing to pull the trigger the first time that's why um if however if you were to somehow give him the benefit of the doubt that he had to eradicate his species and i'm not going to give him that but let's just say you want to be contrarian and he had to do it then yeah trying to aim for 100% would be the moral thing however he is not aiming for one hundred percent he's aiming for tunnel vision his point so if his goal were ninety eight percent isn't good enough I'd agree with you, but we know that's not his goal we know as as Ethan said this is his, he would take twelve percent if it meant twelve ref- percent restoration the Empire species if it meant I get my wife back I couldn't care less about everybody else. That's why he's not sympathetic, because A, he pulled the trigger to begin with, and B, everyone else is just a means to an end. He couldn't care less about anyone else as long as he gets his wife back. So that's why he's not taking the moral position. If he had said in that moment of 98 percent, not good enough, we have to get 100, you'd have a point.
3: Ethan? Well, I was just going to say he gives that a powerful speech uh, and, you know, the moral thing to do is don't stop until we hit 100 percent. And as soon as those words are uttered from his mouth, he looks across the table at Obrist and the, the temperature of the room and the expression on Obrist's face is, well, that's total BS. And they both know it. But Obrist turns around and walks out because he's too cowardly to stand up in that moment and say, look, this has to be good enough. And so he gets what he wants, and he gets to continue on down that tunnel. And yeah, it's just sad, that scene. Thomas?
1: (sighs) I I feel like he continued down that tunnel, yes. I also feel like 98 would have been good enough. Because you that scene showed him that it seemed like if ninety eight percent was right, but also that colony was there. You didn't care about the other two percent.
2: Yeah, that's the he key thing. Would he have if, if he would have insisted on a hundred percent, even if Keona Prime was there?
0: Oh, that would have shown I, him to be even more in your favor. What you said?
1: Yeah, I, I feel like he's he walk was. Somewhere in between, because yes, he's very much tunnel visioned and he wants to get it. But I think he was also trying to get, I mean, seems like 98%. Woohoo! I mean, no disease, nothing like that. Great. Colony's not there. Okay, now we got a problem. Yeah, as much as
2: I want to defend my position,
0: I can't. (laughs) You tried. Just to be contrary, because that's what you do. Someone had to Good put try. it out
3: there. Thus, Scott Never. died on his hill.
0: Yes, <laughs> I hope it was worth the two percent.
2: All right, let's uh, let's switch to Captain Kathryn Janeway's leadership style in this episode. Now, oh boy, we will we will probably all agree that Janeway's leadership style is authoritarian. But when there is sure. a crisis, Janeway's leadership style becomes extremely authoritarian. Most weeks, I would take a crap all over that leadership style. But I did say last week, I will try to show you good Janeway. And in this episode, she is exactly the captain that Voyager needs to get through this crisis. And exactly the captain that Voyager would need to get home from the Delta Quadrant in the end anyway. Uh, Chicote's gift is, you know, symbolic of the ship that arrived with just a couple of masts and some tattered sails which is what's going to happen in this episode. Now, Janeway, when things are going well and you're not in a crisis, you can afford to be democratic. You can afford to try other people's ideas. In a crisis, sometimes what you need more than anything is strong leadership, is determined leadership, is non-wishy-washy leadership could argue that the reason France never completely fell in World War I is that Joseph Joffre had determined, consistent, strong leadership while it was all falling apart, even if it was wrong leadership. And in World War II, there was far less of that determined, strong, consistent leadership.
0: Well, Joffre lost command of the Allies in World War I to Hague. So, and so, well, I mean, by 2017,
2: 2018. But in the moment of the crisis, he was probably the man that was needed in the hour. To not panic... And make strong decisions, even if people didn't agree with it. But that could be a terrible analogy. But in this case, Janeway, Janeway is, is, you know, she looks at Chakotay and says, no, the rules apply to me. The rules apply to you. This is a pair of boots or a meal. Recycle it. She looks at the doctor and she says, you know what? You're right. And in normal times, I would listen to you. I can't afford to today. There are seven other people on the ship, but I can't afford to take a break here. We're going, you can try to relieve me of command. You can see who's going to do it. And if we survive this, I'll face the court-martial. Now, in a lot of weeks, I don't always agree with that. But in this case, she's putting herself at danger. She's not putting anyone else at danger. And in this moment, you're you're in a survival situation, rule and order have broken down. Even in American history, Lincoln became a more authoritarian president when he felt he had to to win a war on war powers. And in this case, in a clearly military situation, Janeway's authoritarianism in this episode to me is not only the right leadership, it is the only leadership that could have
1: carried them through. I'm going to agree with you, Scott, up to one point, and she made one very impulsive decision that leaving the nebula— or whatever they're sitting in the nebula repairing and they're saying we need to repair we need to do all this stuff and she decides no we need to go out there and fight
2: right wrong or indifferent it was a strong decision and in war footing you need strong decisions that take an action um and once you're committed to it you have to be um, but I understand what you're saying. She wasn't listening to any other options there, but she was done hiding.
0: I I personally would have been a bit more cautious than her, but um, I agree with you that whatever decision she made at that point, she had to be all in about it because of the desperation of the moment. You couldn't be wishy-washy. Kind of reminds me of that scene in uh, U-571. I know Thomas has seen it. I don't know about you, Ethan, you, and Scott. Uh-huh. uh there's the scene where Matthew McConaughey's character, uh, they're in the they're in the German U-boat. They just took it over and they're stuck flat footed. What do we do? We we're in the enemy's U-boat and our submarine is gone. And we know the Germans are going to come looking for this. What do we do? And everybody looks at Matthew McConaughey because he's the senior officer at that point, And he just says, I don't know what to do next. OK, I don't know. He's trying to be chummy and honest and his first mate walks up to him later and says don't you ever do that again don't you ever show weakness in front of the men like that you're going to you're going to ruin this they're going to mutiny so at that moment he had to step up and he didn't do it which was another reason why he wasn't promoted at the beginning cuz too chummy you don't know how to make the firm decision you don't know how to which is interesting because this is a reversal from Scott's first episode where he thought she was a bad authoritarian, if not sympathetic at the very least, but now it's uh, saying something else. I'm going to but- turn that over to Ethan, and then I'll address what you said, Ethan.
3: Well, I just I want to bring up a question here, and and I, I understand because of the show and plot and where this show has to go, that it's not really something that could be fully explored. But I do want to bring it up this is obviously a crew that is suffering from stress. They are at any moment, the next torpedo could blow them all out into space. When Chakotay comes to Janeway with his option, is it cowardice on Janeway's part for her to not at least sit down and fully discuss it with Chakotay? I mean, she's not really taking their situation fully into, uh, (laughs) She's not looking at it. Yeah, she's not really thinking about the crew and their safety. I mean she is, but she won't even explore that option of separating all the crew and then trying to meet up on the other side and find another way. Um she wants to keep the family together.
2: I'm glad you brought that up because I think everything she tells one, I do think Chicote's idea is stupid. Uh you're never getting home that way. Uh you're 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 trying to get through here now to to live in exile in the Delta Quadrant and you know, he, she says, what do we do then? And he said, we burn that bridge when we get there. No, no, you better have a plan other than let's get out of here and figure out what happens over there. Uh, you know, Chicote's plan for somebody who's supposed to be a master of tactics. Um, uh, and that was how they pitched his character is, is fairly stupid here, but Janeway on the other hand offers an equally thin, and I, I was going to bring this up, uh, and I'm glad you brought it up because I didn't know where to shoehorn it in at. Um, I think it's an example of her megalomania. I have made the uh, argument on on these three episodes now that Janeway is an authoritarian who borderlines on megalomania and likes playing God. Uh, breaking, I think the reason she's not breaking up the crew is the same reason she won't leave Voyager at the end. She's lost control at that she, point. Right. She's not in command of something. She's in command of a shuttle pod or a shuttle or an escape pod. And <laughs> she'll be captain in name only. And what's she going to command on the way home? She's used to having also, people's lives at her, you know, minions almost that she can order to kill themselves in a transporter if she
1: says so. Um, is that also why she, at the end she decides to tell everyone to tell, turn off their shields so everyone resets? Yeah.
2: And she'll be back being the captain again, even if she doesn't know it. Life where she's not the captain isn't a life worth living for Catherine Janeway.
3: Okay. Do we want to discuss that right now? Because I've got. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. Let's roll. Did it. she know that it was going to reset everything, or was she at that point making the sacrifice so that everyone else around could live?
0: Don't know. Don't know. That's a great question. And because uh, that at that point, you almost wonder: Did she realize she was dead, and she was just going
3: for broke? She's gambling, yeah, and she is gambling. And she does say yes. lower the shields because maybe she has some semblance of of okay. If if we destroy the ship, maybe everything resets. Okay, she makes that. She's not a, a, a time quantum scientist of any kind. Anorax is. Why hasn't he already calculated this out and said, you know what? If I blow this ship up and it never existed or if I somehow wipe it out of existence, everything resets. Well, that's oh, no. But it you brought I, up a I, key I, issue. But, but, it, but it resets. I thought
2: about that. It resets it to where the Krennim Imperium is fallen. And it puts him back in the same spot of building the ship again to restore the lost power and
1: glory Uh, of the Imperial. So he's just
0: on a cycle. He doesn't want to do that because then he'll just find himself in the same boat
1: trying to do... All right, that makes sense. Look at the ending. He's working on his calculations again. That is my question. Did they change anything? Because he's right back where he started. He's right back doing the same research that started this whole thing. So... Does this continue? Does this loop again? Does Voyager just manage to not get caught in the loop this time? Holy crap, Voyager never got home. Yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the point that they,
0: it, it's almost, uh, who cares what happened to them? The Voyager got through and that's all that matters. This. Uh, mm-hmm. So
2: I'll answer this with Technobabble. Oh boy. It is a time loop. That scene that we're seeing with Anorax and his calculations is back in the past before he created the time ship. Um, but the temporal explosion reset the loop. And in this iteration of Voyager, we followed the quantum universe where the Chakotay made the choice to just plot a course around Krenum space rather than Janeway's choice to just pull her way on through. Cause I'm Janeway and I'm going through whether you want me in your territory or not. So you know, th- there is yeah. a quantum universe where Voyager never gets home and never gets out of this time loop. Yeah, But now we're following the Voyager that made the choice that didn't put them in this time loop.
3: Yeah, because the whole time we're watching the screens, the the quantum strings are moving around. So we know there's different strings happening and different causalities, different eventualities and whatnot. That's how I so, think. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. So we were, we, Voyager goes through on the next cycle. Uh, that's one string. And then Anorak's at home with his wife fixing to, uh, you know, calculate and, and build the machine. That's a different string altogether.
2: Right. And then the one third does we see at the end going around Crenim Imperium is is even
1: another one. Yeah. 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 Um, so the question now is, is that section of space just stuck in a never-ending,
3: you know, loop,
1: basically, well, of him that, trying to fix?
3: Sure. Until the board get there.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or Species 8472. Or, yeah. There you go. Okay, oh, so, so I want so to answer... on v- any other temple space beings...
2: Yeah, let's go into rips and picks. I was going to answer Mark's question, but I'll do that later. Maybe, um, but, um. No, I think um, you ought to do that now. Okay. Well, this was a great segue to rips and picks, but here we go. Let, let's hold off on that for a second. We'll get to that in rips and picks. In episode one, I said that was bad authoritarianism in, uh, in Tuvix. In the year from hell, uh, I said it's good, the year of hell. It's good authoritarianism. Here's the difference. There is no pending crisis in Tuvix. Everything is fine. The ship is not in danger. The ship is not threatened. There is no immediate crisis where if Tuvix continues to live, that the the crew, the ship, and everyone is in danger and they can't get home. She is simply making a choice between which of three crewmen at this point she wants to live. And she decides to take the power of life and death into her own hands. It's megalomania authoritarianism still In my opinion, Tuvok and Neelix died in the moment of the transporter accident, bringing to life Tuvix. She has now made a choice that the lives of Tuvok and Neelix are more important and valuable than the life of Tuvix. There is no crisis that's making her make this choice. In episode three, she is being authoritarian because the ship is on the brink of destruction. They're at war and someone needs to make decisions quickly and decidedly. And that does require a time to be more authoritative. Tuvix, she has simply decided that you're dying so these two can live or so that these two can be brought back from the dead. Or she's saying you two can remain dead so this guy can live. But there's no crisis that requires her to abrogate the rule of law and assume dictatorial powers
0: over life and death. That's my justification. Must be nice to live in a world of philosophy. But we're not getting into that.
2: Rips and picks. All right, I'm going to kick us off with a rip. Voyager, I think, has already shown you that there's a Federation time police at this point, and they're going to do far more with it with the time ship (laughs) relativity and Captain Braxton, and they're going to show you that in the 26th century, there is a branch of Federation science that monitors the timeline and knows that Captain Janeway shows up on their radars way too often. Why what, what didn't happen- it show up this time,
3: Scott? I have the answer for you. Woo-hoo. This was during that time in the twenty seventh century when the time police were defunded.
1: Ah. <laughs> Ah uh, yes, the famous defund the time police yeah. movement. There was that
0: one year gap where they <laughs> yep. didn't have them, but for some yep. reason that the whole Things thing about, the whole thing about them going back and being like, "Well, we could go back and do that one year, but that'll be too many strengths. You know what? It's too complicated. Just let this thing happen.
2: <laughs> we, I mean, we also know that there's beings like Q. Th- their whole thing of existence is to ensure the continuum. Not just their continuum, but like when you get to the one when Q is not being the trickster God um, and he's in his better iteration as, as um, God who is guiding humanity to enlightenment and discovery about themselves by giving them helpful nudges along the way, you know, when he's not being an immortal God who's acting like a man scorned over Janeway not loving him or Vash, um, they're out there to make sure stuff like this doesn't happen. Well, they're
0: just asleep they're omnipotent they're just asleep at the switch here, you know the organians I, don't care you know what i got an idea um so the cues are as i understand it they are omnipresent the omni um omniscient correct yeah. so if they already knew this was going to happen that it was going to reset why do they need to get involved now that shoots down my rip because if they already know it's going to work out yeah why get involved then if if i know a problem's going to sort itself out
1: i don't need to get involved but here's the problem q has been proven multiple times not to be knowing all things yeah, he's shocked I, when Ganon's on the ship he's shocked multiple times so he they're not they don't know everything uh, i think the best example would be they can might be able to see time and the probabilities of time
0: I well,
2: think they're, they're omnipotent,
0: so.
1: but then
2: I don't saw know the, if they're...
0: Then they saw the probability was in their favor. And the only time they're shocked when it involves Picard, and Picard ain't here, so they don't have to worry about that variable. <laughs> that <laughs> um, variable is gone, so... Yeah, the Q depends what episode you're in, what his power is or isn't, but or what he is, is, But the point is, apparently they knew enough to leave well enough alone, so why get involved? Plus, when you're essentially immortal... Uh, seeing civilizations rise and fall, man, you do that over breakfast. To you, that's breakfast. That's that is like, true. That's like watching an anthill fall over. For us, that's who cares? Or watching us in uh, the life of a day fly. Who cares? I see that happen over breakfast. It doesn't bug me. And if you're a Q, watching in their mind, not to be crass, but... Hey, a civilization died because that guy fired a laser. Uh, You know, he he got rid of them a thousand years before they were going to drop anyway, whatever. But
2: for some reason, we've got a member of the Q Continuum that is intentionally interested in
0: Earth and guiding it onto right paths of development. Hey, I mean, uh, he got bored. What can I say? He got bored.
3: Okay. anyone else? Rips. Who else has got rips? I got one rip. I got one pick. I got uh, I mean, of course, they're going to show us what happened on day 47. I wish they'd had the guts to show us day 48 instead or 46. You know, it's always 47. I know it's always 47. It's a Star Trek thing. But I, you know, (sighs) at what point does that get old? Well, I guess I guess it wasn't older. Uh,
2: Uh, Whether it's if you go back and rewatch Star Trek, any of the series in the uh, Berman era, uh, whether it's Enterprise, you will find the number 47 gets in there. Um, yeah. uh, uh, half a dozen times. It's, it's always in there for some uh, so It's ubiquitous. Yep.
0: Yeah. So it's kind of like forty-two in Hitchhiker's Guide.
2: Forty-seven yeah, it'll be, is the right. answer to everything. Deck it starts, forty-seven. Right. It's the magic
3: number. Yep. Yeah.
2: They'll, they'll find a way. Forty-seven gigahertz. Okay.
3: So of course we got to see day forty-seven. Yep. But you know I, that's that's a rip. It's but, an Easter you know, egg. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a pick though, I did appreciate, especially uh, for the last two years. I did appreciate when chicote does come to. Jane Wayne says, Hey, it's your birthday, it's May, whatever it was. And she was like, I thought we were still in April. I've been there. <laughs> yeah. I I, lo- I like yeah. that they put that in there, that they were, you know, if they're just they've got their noses down, they're just suffering through this. And I identify to to an, a lesser extent, but I ad- I do identify with that.
0: Uh Mark, Thomas? I'll let Thomas go.
3: Okay.
1: Sure, put me on the spot, Mark. Always. Um, no. <laughs> oh, I got more rips. If you need a second. Oh, I, I, I think I have. I have a pick. I'll start with. Okay. Seven having to adapt to a bunkmate, basically. I think was a pick. I'll agree with that because it does. It's a very interesting dynamic, and shows development of a character it works i like it it's a, it's a pick okay another uh, another pick is the absolute destruction of the ship I agree completely and also the doctors closing the door on people letting them die and this time not having a crisis with it
3: well you can ration it out correct can rationalize it out but he didn't he didn't exactly respond well to it, though, no, because he does oh, snap no. at Paris. and but I thought that was I thought that was really well done, the way they showed him, you know, having to deal with that scenario and, and playing it out in his own mind.
2: It's funny you brought I, up the doctor closing the door as a pick because I also have it as a rip. There is an explosion that destroys that entire deck. That flimsy little door is not saving anybody. Everybody else is also dead who's in that
1: Jeffrey's tube. Well, I was going to get
3: to that with the lift, the lift,
1: which apparently everything has collapsed in the entire area and the lifts are no longer working. But somehow we got to you, but also you've been here forever with internal bleeding, by the way. So. What? What? I've already ripped Seven's
2: uh, nanobot ability to have her makeup on and make her look like she's just come out of a beauty salon in every scene while everyone else is, uh, is looking haggard. Here's one. Activate tactile display. Now I realize <laughs> this is the future, and we don't want to um, discriminate on people's abilities, but I find it incredibly um, doubtful. That your tactical officer, even in the future, can get enough information with two hands from a tactile display to be able to read the entire security situation going on within the ship and the tactical situation, aim and fire the phasers. I also find it amazing that he hasn't tripped over any of the debris on the floor when he's moving to the bridge without the help of Seven of Nine. The tactile display thing to me was stupid. I know he's really good and he's your chief tactical and security officer. But maybe at this point... You want to hand that position off to someone else at the moment.
1: Well, how about this? Here's a rip. Why on earth do you have one of the most annoying characters, your chef? Which position do you choose for him now? Chef is totally unnecessary now. We're now on rations. So which position's most necessary for this very annoying character? Maybe engineering, where we can just have him do some manual labor. Maybe we could put him somewhere. No. No. Let's put him in charge of, put him in security. You still need a chef. You still need food. Yes, but why do you put him in security? Just keep him as a chef Oh, do it. But security?
2: The most useful thing for Neelix would have been to use him as a torpedo and fire him out the torpedo <laughs> tubes and see if <laughs> he can stab him. <laughs> Neelix is the worst character in the history of Star Trek. And when they, they couldn't figure out who to kill off when Species 8472 came around. It was originally going to be Harry Kim. And then they said, "Well, we got to get rid of someone to make way for seven. So it was Tess. Uh, it should have been Neelix. He's the most the breakout character of the show. Is the Doctor? There is not a single episode of of, of Voyager where I find Neelix to have added something to the story.
3: Yeah, he uh, is uh, the he is the Jar Jar Binks of the yes. Star Trek universe.
1: Yes. Well, I mean, come on, but he could. We could have had different stuff, and instead of intruders, alert intruders here. Is this what we
2: need
0: to focus on here, sewer (laughs) rat? Well, not only that, but you really need that much security for a ship. That's you know, okay. So two picks.
1: I think at this point we might know if someone's here because everything is falling apart, and we all live within five feet of each other. So we'll notice
0: (laughs) if someone shows up. We don't know. I think we'll figure it out. I got uh, two rips and a pick, one rip. So they get attacked. And uh oh, what's the Vulcan's name? I forget. Tuvok Tuvok, My so favorite tu- Vulcan. Tuvok does his little thing and is able to explain everything that's going on. Then Janeway says damage report. Wait. Um so they the, the ship shakes and they he knows everything that's wrong, but they still need a damage report. Wait, how does he know everything that's wrong in a nanosecond? Well
1: so wait. Good. Uh, He's being updated on damage too. So,
0: do you need a damage report now or not? Anyway, Um, the other one, I get the idea of time and threat that you have to solve this in a time. I I get it. I really do. But when you start going hull decompression in ten seconds. How do you know it's going to be 10 seconds? It could be 10 more minutes for all you know. Don't give me that integrity is going to collapse in precisely 10 seconds. No, just no. That, just say evacuate now, hull breach imminent. And there you go. Because when you put a second point on it, there, no, no, there is no calculation that can precisely tell you when it's going to sure break. Sure,
2: there is. It's 47 seconds,
0: minutes, uh, hours, days. Right. 47, <laughs> 47, 47. But otherwise, well, that was a well, rip.
1: You're definitely right because, yeah, there was structural issues where you're getting a power overload. And it's like, I get some of that where, yeah, you can have stuff. You can going estimate. To break, so. But, yeah, getting it down to seconds when something's going to yeah. fail. I mean, if if I was going to fail at 37, what (laughs) if I were doing damage control
0: on a naval vessel and I suddenly found a way to calculate damage to that second, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen, I am now a millionaire because any vessel in the U.S. Navy is going to kill for that ability. Uh, you're, You're at least a millionaire. So, all right. The pick, on the other hand. I really, despite the strangeness of this, I really enjoyed the way they tackled time travel. Uh, Anybody who has watched modern writing having to do with time travel, dear God, do they just jam interdimensional travel in there at the same time? Loki was a great example of this, and they think they're sounding smart and fascinating by... Just making up interdimensional time traveling, warping, quantum, blah, blah, blah. And they love the word quantum, even though quantum is a very boring definition. But quantum. um, They didn't do that at all in this. If if anything, they made it stupid, simple, but reasonable. I can't just change this without plucking all these other strings out of the way. The timeline. It's almost like trying to say there is a timeline. And if I try to mess with it, I'm going to screw everything up. I can't just mess with one little thing. Not none of this. There are these timelines and interdimensional quantum Lokis with different Lokis that are crocodiles and aren't we smart and sophisticated? I hate that because I, I hate tell. interdimensional writing. And here's why it called a sacs good ideas. Either you make up a good idea that gets called a sack because a bunch of other people didn't like it. Or you just make up a bunch of other timelines and, hey, you know what would be funny? If we made Spider Man, but he was Bullwinkle, Gwen Stacy, and Deadpool at the same time. <laughs> uh, how does that work? Alternate dimension! And that's what it usually winds up being.
2: Yeah, here's the million dollar question, Rage. Mm. Do you hate interdimensional time
0: travel more
1: or oh, the bad beach writing? Worse?
0: Oh man, ooh. that's uh, ooh. uh, let me let me think about that one because hey, because hey, you know what? what, you know what though, Morty, why he's thinking about that, will you put on interdimensional cable? You know what, <laughs> I imagine when you're doing interdimensional travel or god help us interdimensional time travel, aka Loki style, the sound of the traveling is a Beach Boy song of them going. Ooh, 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 that's what it sounds like while you're driving. Way down in time travel. Just to let you know how bad of an idea you're doing right now.
2: All right. I have, uh,
0: I have two more rips and one pick first rip captain.
2: We have damage on deck five, six, seven, eight Phasers are down. Warp drive is down. One of the nacelles is out and the computer is offline. As I read this off the computer. (laughs) Main computers offline, navigational
1: computers offline, computers offline. The whole computer. Thank you. I was about to ask that question because I that was one of my huge rips where I was like, when he said computers offline. Wait, isn't everything computerized on this ship? (laughs) It's
2: almost (laughs) as bad as an enterprise when they go whole plating offline. No, no, wait, it's whole plating. It can't go (laughs) offline. Whole plating damaged, whole plating (laughs) destroyed. Whole plating offline. What? <laughs> yeah. Chair
1: offline. You, whole plating offline. <laughs> whole what plating does that mean? It, it means that... It uh, means all the whole plane just yeah. falls off the chip.
0: Or it means Scuzzy Joe's not holding onto it anymore. <laughs> whole
1: plating <laughs> floating away. Um,
2: And uh, so my pick, Kurtwood Smith's acting. You see his range and ability that he can do more than just go dumbass and be Red Foreman. Because... You, he, he manages to show you a cold, callous villain, like when Chicote's begging him to find another way. And you see, it looks like he's almost going to think about it. And then without saying a word, you see the decision made in his head, his expression change and go fire. It's it's villainous without being evil. And it's not over the top like Shatner would do. It's subdued, but it does everything it's supposed to. And then you can really see him mastering his craft when he's talking to Chakotay about time having moods. And, you know, he's stumbling through certain things and explaining the mistakes that he made and how I've lost everything when he lost his wife. And so much of that is in the pausing. It's in the breathing. It's in the fact that he's managing to show his eyes staring at Chakotay, but through Chakotay. And to see that he's there physically, but he's not there mentally. And it really gives you the—it's not just with his voice. It's, it's everything that he puts into the role, and it, it shows you what a tremendously skilled actor can do. And the rip is that it shows you why you haven't seen Robert Beltran in much stuff outside of Star Trek Voyager. Because he's trying really hard with his voice to convey righteous anger and emotion and morality and it is really impressive that a block of wood can emote as much as he does. But ultimately, his face has the pleasant look like he's about to sit down to a great stake while he's trying to be outraged at the destruction of whole civilizations. He can be telling, you, telling Seven of Nine later on that he loves her and he wants to date her for that mini arc. Or he can be in this spot where he's outraged at a horrendous, terrible tragedy. Or when he's telling Janeway, he won't let her give up her humanity. And the expression on his face is the same, is unchanged. If he's going for block of wood, man, he's good at it.
0: Well, that's funny when he later on rags on the show. It's like, uh, I don't know if you have a right to rag on the show. You didn't exactly do a good job. He's
2: clearly given up by this point, though. I mean, he has Uh, fairly or unfairly, he's. He's realized this is a paycheck, and I'm going to get the paycheck as long as I can. I'm going to do my fake uh, Native American stuff and whatever this uh,
0: religion is, and be Janeway's I, I, little. Bleep. I guess I can't. I, I can't <laughs> do that when Peter Cushing can take on a serious role of Van Helsing. In a movie called Dracula and the Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, where it's Dracula and China with Kung Fu vampires, and Peter Cushing is just doing the best he can just because that's what he does. I'm sorry, dude. I don't know. Nope. You're paid a lot of money. You act it. You don't come into the office one day and go, I don't like this. Deal with would- it. You're getting paid way more than your average person does who... Thomas gets paid significantly less money and spent a whole weekend sopping out a machine. Okay? You can buck it up and try harder. Don't remind me. I I try to—it's the weekend. I try to forget those things. Right, but I'm just saying, (laughs) there are guys like him who get paid significantly less and still muck it up and do the best they can. Don't give me your, I don't like this.
3: Oh, buck it up, you sick freak. Do your job. Wow. I would I would like to point out that Robert Beltran did do a good job in a handful of episodes even after this one. And and I I don't fault you at all. I his, his yes, he was very wooden. So was Harry Kim. Oh, yeah. In the elevator, him and Bellana oh. going back and forth. I was like, "Man, this is not a great scene. I, it's he was not doing well." But I will point out Robert Beltran timeless in season 5 was an excellent excellent uh effort by him
2: boy it's amazing that you bring up timeless because that is what we are reviewing next week
1: Woohoo! that's a favorite you want to join for that but (laughs) we'll see you're absolutely right that you are invited kim is a block of wood also i feel bad
2: for garrett wong though because he has said after the series ended that they told him to act that way
0: yeah. oh so that's not his fault uh,
2: i feel so bad for him he was given a care they didn't know what to do with harry kim they never knew what to do with harry kim they killed him off in the first season and brought him back with alternate reality kim uh they killed him off in another episode and brought him back through magic
0: so transporter it's restoration not really his fault okay they were gonna
2: kill him off with species 8472 but then decided to they didn't know what to do with him ever and and they gave him bad well, that how the, to act the character. I, and I, that I was, feel bad for him.
3: Yeah. And that was the problem with Voyager. You t- you've talked about at length of uh, the other episodes, the problems that you have with Voyager. That was one of the things the writers didn't know what to do with a lot of the characters on the show, except for when they focused in on seven of nine and Janeway. And they got the ball Well, and the doctor as well. Yep. They focus on those three. Typically, you got a decent episode. Oh, yeah. They tried to do things with others, and it fell flat because the writers just could not get the pulse right for any of those other characters. You know, like. um,
2: SF Debris said something about Belana Torres, which I think is amazing. Uh, it, it's accurate, and watch it every time. If it's a Torres episode, she's going to fix something, fight something, or bleep something. <laughs> and then and – then, Yeah, you know, that's t- accurate. Tom Paris was the Swiss army knife, whatever they need him to be an expert at that week. He is Tom Paris is the most talented man in the history of Starfleet, but that's because that's the writer's inability to figure figure out out and stick to something, you know, but all right, it's time to rate this thing. Um, Who wants to go first and how many unnecessary gaudy handsome pocket watches do we want to give
0: it? I'll go. I give it a seven of 10 instead of seven of nine. (laughs) We hammered Mark down to a number, not a seven or eight or seven of 10. So uh, I like it for the time travel things I mentioned. The villain is really well done. It's the show as it should have been. And the rips are. Are considerable, but they're not enough to make me dislike the episodes. I can plow through them because I was interested
1: in the content. I agree. Thomas? Well, uh, unfortunately, I'm going to give it a rating higher than seven, so I can't make a seven of boobs joke. Uh, But (laughs) I'm going to uh, give it, I think, 8.5 because it does show exactly what the show should be and should have been from the beginning. Stuck in away from earth with no resources and the ship slowly being destroyed at times,
3: not being able to repair it. And I'm with rage on this one. Seven. I mean, this is a really good episode of Voyager. The sci-fi concept is solid. Um, The manipulation of time, the ethical considerations that are being talked about and bantered and debated here are really good. And it's what you expect out of a good episode of Star Trek. And so Voyager, uh, they they get it right here. I don't give it an eight because I feel like, man, if they had just gone through and done the whole season proper – this would have been a fantastic concept and would have been groundbreaking for Voyager and for Star Trek in general. And yeah, I've already talked about that. So seven. Yeah.
2: If I'm rating this as a piece of science fiction, I'm I'm right there with Thomas. I'm gonna give it an eight or an eight and a half. But if I'm if I'm rating this as a piece of Voyager, um, then I'm gonna give this a nine and a half. This is the series that we should have got. This is the characterization of Janeway that we should have got. This is even how the other characters should have been portrayed. We should have seen a beaten up Voyager, a struggling Voyager. And they should have taken it one step further. And every season should have had an arc like this where they were solving problems. There should have been conflict among the crew. You see the conflict between Tom and Chakotay, where the command structure is breaking down. And Chakotay has to threaten to solve it the old way with fists. Um... The Doctor alludes to what you should have seen. You see the conflict between Janeway and the Doctor. This is what the show should have been. And it gives you a glimpse of how amazing Voyager had the potential to be. And so for pulling that all together with an excellent performance by Kurtwood Smith um, as Anorax and a a nuanced villain who is not evil for the sake of being evil... um, and a, and a portrayal of good leadership by a Catherine Janeway who has to do things that she might not want to do to get her crew home. I'll give this a nine and a half. This is Voyager at its best. This is this is what the show could shoot for when it was going to be its best. Uh, nine and a half. Next week, Timeless, which sometimes flies under the radar. Um, this is where people say you didn't put in um you didn't put in City on the Edge of Forever. Uh, this is kind of the sitting on the edge of forever episode in a way of Star Trek Voyager that that I left off. Um, but I'm going to throw it in here. I'm going to throw it in as the best episode that they that they did, in my opinion. We'll get more into that next week. And if Ethan wants to be here, he will be here. Uh, Ethan, the uh, the fifth Beatle, the fourth member of Sci-Fi Malady, do you have anything going on to plug at the moment? I know you shut some stuff down for a while.
3: Yeah, I shut some stuff down, but I I immediately fell in with a friend of mine that I used to podcast with a lot. He has his own uh, little podcasting empire called The Wannabe Critic, and he has has co-opted me, so I've made many appearances over on The Wannabe Critic. And, uh, yeah, we do a, a monthly show called Punch Counterpunch. You can find it on YouTube. You can find it uh, on their website, uh, wannabecritic.com. So, yeah, you can find me over there. Uh, I'm still doing Drive Back the Night. In fact, we just posted an episode this weekend, episode 73. So if you're an Andromeda fan, go check that out. Uh, we're still doing things over on the Age of Geek side as well.
0: Awesome. Well, Rage Master. Oh, I, I see you on uh, Wannabe Critic here. You did a review of Book of Boba Fett, which I'll take a listen to that.
3: I'm not on every episode, so yeah, I don't think I've been in on any of the Book Above of Boba Fett stuff, but yeah, look through the catalog, uh, there's a lot of reviews, uh, we did a Bond series that I was on, uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there.
0: All righty, Regmaster, what's going on on Raving Lunatic Media? Oh, well, we have a new episode of ZTF, we'll be dropping very soon, along actually next month we'll have two episodes, a regular one and a special, a Valentine's special, so stay tuned for that. Also, we, uh, of course, have the Cold Case Chase is still a thing. In fact, they've had two episodes ever since we last met. There was the real, actually one, it was Case Closed, the story of Bell Gunnis. So tune in for that on Spotify or Apple. Awesome. Um,
2: uh, stay tuned for my upcoming uh, exclusive interview with Kevin Smith and J.J. Abrams as they review and critique Zodiac Task Force.
0: Yeah. This
2: interview may or may not be
0: happening. Uh, the interview may <laughs> will not be happening. God, I, I wish I could get that, could that interview. Couldn't <laughs> care less what they think. Couldn't care less.
2: Well, you can find everything at www.chainwavesinauthoritarian.com Who wants to kill anybody you play No! RavingLunaticMedia.com 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 RageMaster What's left for them to do?
0: Stay sick, sickies.